Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 126 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to replay an interview with Icy Mike regarding self-defense for runners. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 126 my name is Letty Lundquist and I am the host of the marathon running podcast a podcast that I usually do with my husband we interview experts that talk to us about training nutrition psychology and we also have inspirational stories by fellow runners that have something to share with the world. Today I'm flying solo. We live in southwest Florida and we are still dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Ian that hit us just last week. So for that reason we also were unable to obtain another interview and as I told you in last week's podcast, this week we will replay a podcast from one of our older seasons, season one, where we talk to somebody who is very well versed and a guru in self-defense. His name is Icy Mike. He has a YouTube channel. And back in, I think it was 2020, and he talked to us and gave us some advice on what to do, how to stay out of certain situations, how to prepare for certain situations, and what to do when we are in certain situations that we don't want to be in. And that, of course, is all in light and in the aftermath of the killing of kindergarten teacher Eliza Fletcher that was recently on the news. So I'm going to play this interview for you guys right now. All right, so I'm here with Mike Pasesco, also known as Icy Mike. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about this. Perfect. So as you know, we were looking for an expert in the field of self-defense, specifically when it came to runners. And I found you online. I liked your videos. So I just wanted for you to introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us who you are, what you do, and how you came to be an expert in this area. Well, my name is Mike Pesesco. I'm better known on the internet as Icy Mike. That's the nickname I use on my YouTube channel, Hard to Hurt. And I am a self-defense instructor. I am a former police officer, former SWAT operator, bloodhound handler, uh, police trainer. I've taught at the agency and academy level, taught officer survival, done field training for new police officers, and then eventually trained the people who then trained police officers. I've taught active shooter at the police academy and taught, you know, arrest and control and defensive tactics to, at this point, probably hundreds of police officers and civilians as well. I own a small self-defense and fitness studio where we teach boxing, kickboxing, uh, self-defense techniques, and that sort of thing. And on the YouTube channel, we also do a extensive 
often comical testing of self-defense weapons. Mostly we test them on ourselves. So, and then really, this is going to sound funny and it sounds like a joke or it sounds like hyperbole, but the best way to become a self-defense expert is this, <laughs> people get mad at me when I say this guys that spend a lot of time is watching YouTube videos. And that's not how you become an expert and actually defending yourself. But as far as becoming an expert and actually how violence happens, all the information now is available on YouTube, in particular on this subject, which if you go, I'm sure your listeners after this podcast will go, you know, I'm going to look up some of these incidents if they haven't already. If they're avid joggers, they're probably familiar, but there's so much information out there that's very easy to find. We no longer have to rely on theoretical things from, you know, martial arts in the past used to be about, you just had to go by what your instructor, or your teacher taught you. But now we have the internet and all that information is available for you and all your listeners. Yeah, perfect. Thanks for the intro. And uh, first of all, we definitely feel like we're in good hands, but also something that you just mentioned uh, might not be as common as you as an expert in this area might think. The whole prevention of things that could potentially happen to you. You're mentioning that a lot of runners might be familiar with incidents, but many might not be because when I look around my running community and I talk to them, you know, something had happened to me in the past. And I tell them, you know, when I run, I look around for things to grab or houses or even cars to jump on. When I think about being attacked by a dog, many of them, it's like it never has crossed their minds. So maybe we could start right there by talking about what is it that we could do to prevent something from happening. And I'm not talking about the whole, okay, you can't dress in your sports bra and run because obviously that's not what I'm where I'm going with this. Right. No, I totally understand. And that's a big gap that's not filled in the self-defense community. Because when you say, hey, I'm going to teach self-defense specific to a runner's needs, uh, the average self-defense instructor or the average subject matter expert would say, okay, don't run alone. Don't run at night. Don't have your earbuds in. Don't be a uh, attractive athletic female not wearing a lot of clothes well newsflash their runners are not going to stop doing those things you know like that's runners are going to run alone they're going to run at night a female might want to run in her sports bra if it's particularly hot a guy might want to run without his shirt on like and they're going to wear earbuds those things are going to happen so to just tell a person don't do anything that you want to do is not really a useful uh sense of a useful method of prevention or a useful tactic. The big issue, which, as you said, is just getting people to start thinking about it. it. Just the moment you begin thinking about it, that's like an unlock. And you start looking at things differently. You can, and some people would say like, oh, I don't want to be super paranoid and constantly be my eyes darting around and constantly worried about someone jumping out and, and getting me. Well, I have good news and i have bad news about how these things happen the which do you want first letty you want good news or bad news mm, let's start with the bad news okay perfect the bad news <laughs> is if that a very determined very savvy very crafty very strong fast prepared bad guy decides to ambush you he's probably going to get you that's the bad news The good news is that guy almost doesn't exist because the average guy or girl, and I, I hate to 
it comes with the territory. Just the fact of the matter is that typically this scenario is a man attacking a woman. That's just common. It's not to say that men aren't also the victim. They might they might be the victim just as often. There's no way of knowing because culturally men underreport themselves as victims of assault. So but just typically when people think of, oh, a runner attacked, they think of a man attacking a woman. So if I slip into overgeneralizing, I'm, that's just for the sake of brevity. But the good news is, is that the, the type of person that does this isn't smart, isn't crafty, generally doesn't have it planned out and is not as determined. The other piece of good news is that when you're running, you are likely in majority, a relatively open area. You know, it's not a cramped hallway. It's you're not in a car. You're not in a bedroom of a house. You're not in all the places that are typically nightmare scenarios as self-defense instructors. We can teach people very quickly how to defend themselves in a parking lot or on a sidewalk or out in the open. That's easy. It's when people get pushed up against stuff. That's the problem. So route selection is probably the number one way I would recommend runners think about this stuff. And that should be sort of a no brainer. Like, do you run through an area where people are shot every night with lots of blind corners and no streetlights? Or do you run on a nice pleasant trail where there are lots of other runners or there are businesses nearby or a main road you could get to quickly? That's an easy fix is just route selection. The other big part of this, and this is, I took hundreds, if not thousands of reports of assaults of all kinds, not just people out running or exercising, just assaults, period. And almost every single one of them started with the victim telling me, well, I was out jogging and then this weird, suspicious thing happened. And then I just continued doing what I was doing. And then the weird, suspicious thing became more weird and suspicious. And I just continued doing what I was doing. And then the weird, suspicious thing turned dangerous. And then I was screwed. That's how they all start. They all start with the victim telling you I had signs that something bad was about to happen and ignored them. So I think it's really important for you and your listeners to listen to yourself. When these things are about to happen, it's not a ninja jumping out of the bushes. And I say that, and part of the part of the biggest problem with this is that there are so many variables in each circumstance. But that does, I'm not going to say that never happens, that an unknown uh, attacker that you had no pre-attack indicators jumps from concealment is very determined and is very prepared. I can't say that would never happen. And it might sound like I'm being insensitive to the people that did happen too. But all we can prepare for really is the highest percentage things. That's really all you can prepare for. Um, when I train police officers, very often less experienced training officers would create these nightmare scenarios that the officer couldn't win. They were also not based on things that happened very regularly. So I would just suggest to your viewers, you don't have to become Jason Bourne, where your mind is constantly racing and you're constantly trying to figure out how to what you could use as a weapon or where the exits are. And like, it doesn't have to take over your mind, but giving it a little bit of thought, I don't think is a huge ask. That makes complete sense. And, uh, you know, sometimes 
it happened to me before that I was running and it was five o'clock in the morning. I was running by myself and it ended up being a newspaper guy that kept on pulling in and turning back and forth. And of course, that was super embarrassing in retrospect. I'm actually, I'm glad that I became aware of that and decided to stop and just kind of watch the scenario because it's like you said, super easy, just continuing to do your thing without uh, putting any more thought into it and not stopping or not even noticing it in some cases. So, so listen, Letty, you don't have to feel bad about the newspaper guy thing because that guy has tricked countless police officers because the way that they drive around, it's kind of suspicious. They circle around, they go behind buildings, they come out, they move around and they're out at like four and five o'clock in the morning. I actually once chased a newspaper guy. I was staking out a a gas station that we thought was going to be robbed in the middle of the night. And the newspaper guy was behaving suspiciously. And I ran across the street because I was hiding in a bush. I ran across the street and went to snatch the newspaper guy out of the car because I (laughs) thought for sure that was the bad guy. So you don't have to feel bad because the newspaper guy tricks us all because he looks suspicious. I'm so glad you said that because I have not told the story to anyone about sitting in a bush calling the police on this guy. But another thing that you were mentioning is about the route selection. So as runners, we hear a lot of the time that it's not safe to be running the same route every day, which is making life pretty difficult if you're living in suburbia, you have a couple of kids at home, and the only time you can run is at five o'clock because your husband leaves at six o'clock. So what do you say about this whole route selection? Is it uh, wise to just put, pick a safe route or should we really put as much, as much emphasis into changing up our route on a daily basis? That sort of goes back to when I was saying that it's, it's, you're doing people a disservice if your suggestions to them are to stop doing what they, what they want to do, like stop running alone, stop running at night, stop running with headphones in. Um, I would love to tell you, yes, you're supposed to vary your route. You're supposed to run at different times every day, different areas every day, never running the same way twice, double back and, and, and change directions often and frequently. But we sort of venture, and this is why some of the things that I say are not super popular in the self-defense community, because everyone wants to think that there's some super tactical ninja that is prepared for everything. Um, if, you're, if you're always worried about dying, you're not spending as much time living is one way that I've heard it described. And there has to be a healthy amount of thought put into it without it taking over. Like if it becomes so cumbersome and so terrifying to you to just go for a run that's not useful and it's also not realistic these things happen there's lots of incidents of people being attacked in public by strangers that does happen but you're infinitely more likely to be attacked in a place that you're familiar with by a person you know like by by a huge huge number that's way more likely being attacked by a stranger in public is an extremely rare set of circumstances relative to the other types of assaults. And all the, all the incidents that I'm familiar with that I did when I've done self-defense for runner workshops and seminars, I do a lot of research in these incidents and all the ones I'm familiar with seem like the person sort of just saw the person. It was just like a crime of opportunity. Now it is possible that maybe they watched them and I can say, because of, of the nature of my job that I'm a, maybe a little more observant than the average person. And I've seen the same people running at the same time. And I can't say that a bad guy wouldn't do that. 
I'm just saying that there's not a ton of information that this is exactly how it develops. And I always joke with people, I'm like, how important are you that you've got like, you know, super spies tracking your every movement and you have to vary <laughs> your speed and vary your direction. You know, these are the tactics that you use to like protect, you know, VIPs that you do. And, you know, the people protecting the president have to change the route and all that. If yeah. someone really, really wants to get you, you're probably going to run into that person no matter what you do. So I, I wouldn't say make yourself miserable, but maybe if you have a choice, if you have no choice and the only time you can run is at 5 a.m., then that's when you got to run. If you, if you got to run, because ultimately the, the point of life is to be happy. And if you're not running because you're scared of people attacking you, that doesn't sound happy. So if you have a choice, make the choice that makes the most sense. And if you don't have a choice, just be, you just have your eyes and your ears open and just be aware. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that because at work, that was completely my train of thought too, about having this whole route thing. Obviously, yes, I understand that if you run by some sick man's house every single day and he knows when you're going, then that one sick man will likely do something. But statistically, he's probably not the one that's going to be the predator when it comes to, um, to runners. Yeah. And, and yes, if you run, if you run by a weirdo's house every day, you will draw his attention. Like that's just the nature of weirdos. That's how weirdos are. They do weird stuff. But I don't think that you could adequately prevent all of that enough to let it take over your life and let it take over your mind. So yeah. I'd, I'd say give it a little bit of thought, give it a, a normal amount of healthy consideration and, and, then, and then move on and just be smart and be fast and be ready. And another thing I wanted to talk to you about is this whole visualizing. Um, as runners now, this is 2021, There's a lot of information about mental training, not just physical training. So people are being told to envision the finish line, envision how they run and things that could go wrong. And along with that, I always tell my friends and people in our running community to envision what if something were to happen. So can you talk a little bit about that whole mental preparation that we just touched on? And then also the fact that When something does happen, if somebody does pull you into the bushes and you're not expecting it, it might really help you to have, you know, visualized a scenario as bad as it is like that before, rather than being completely caught off guard and being in shock. 100% uh, visualization is one of the most powerful tools in combat sports and self-defense. And you touched on it a little bit in the beginning. You said, while you're running, you look around and you think, well, You know, if, if something popped off right now, I would go this way or I would, there's a car there, I could run to them or, or you know, you think about these things as they're happening. But visualization is one way when I, I train fighters, I have them visualize the moment of their fists impacting their opponent's face, like see that moment over and over and over again. And visualization has like a actual practical, tactical application, especially in martial arts, combat sport, everything that you've thought of doing. So if I'm running by a person and I have to pass close to them and they're going to reach out and grab me, what would I do? If they go to reach out and grab my wrist that's closest to them, what will I do? Just the visualization, just the mental exercises of if he does this, I will do this. If you've thought about that enough times, thinking of what to do is one less step you have if that exact situation presents itself. Now, that's if it happens exactly like that. When unexpected things happen, there tends to be a little lag in our decision-making, but every decision you've made beforehand, like if I hear gunshots, I'm going to lay flat. 
Like if you just decide that's what you're going to do. And I can't say for each person, it's going to vary. Maybe your answer would be, you are going to change directions. Maybe your answer would be, you're going to look for cover. But if your answer to, I hear gunshots and I don't know where they're coming from, I'm going to lie flat. If you visualize that moment, then when you hear those gunshots, that's one less decision you have to make. And those decisions, we're talking fractions of seconds, but in a life and death, fractions of seconds become very important. Yeah, absolutely. And um, along with that, I want to talk about the self-defense weapons that are out there. There is the maze, there's these rings that turn into something that, you know, has some sort of claw on it. And then there's pocket knives and there's tasers and, you know, all of that that you can carry. But along with that is also, of course, you're going to have to think that what if you are not ready to use it? What if you're in shock and then they turn it around, use it on you? Myself, for example, I would never be able to have a gun at home because I would freeze up and they would probably use the gun, turn it around on me because I don't have that type of training, nor do I think that I would be able to just do that. So what are your thoughts when it comes to self-defense weapons and having a maze that you carry around and that sort of thing? So first off, I want to compliment you how impressed I am with how realistic uh, you are about your own self-assessment. Like most people think, oh, I could totally, I could totally kill someone if they mess with me. <laughs> and most people think that they walk around thinking, oh yeah, if, if something terrible happened, I know what I would do. I would, I'd kick into gear and I would rise to the occasion. Um, and I just think that's funny. It's probably because you are an athlete, I would guess. And you understand that you don't rise to the occasion. You can't just, you can't just finish a marathon because you really want to. <laughs> right. You, you have to have the training and the conditioning to go with it. There's a mental component, but if you don't have the legs and you don't have the feet, like you're not gonna, you're not gonna finish no matter how bad you want to. Um, fighting is similar. You can want it really bad and you can be a, just in your mind, a stone cold killer. But if you don't have physical tools to back it up, um, it won't work. And if you just have physical tools, but not the mental capacity to, do these things that won't work either. You have to have it all. As, as far as weapons go, the biggest problem with weapons is all, all of them are good. I mean, a, weapon, a good weapon is a good weapon. There's almost, there's a couple weapons that have very narrow applications, but if we talk about the big ones and the, the main four that I vouch for as useful for making a person stop what they are doing are Obviously, a firearm, pepper spray, a knife, or a, uh, a high lumen tactical style flashlight. Those would be the four things that I know for a fact from personal experience. When you use them on people, those people stop what they're doing, um, whatever that is. The issue with runners is you're limited by how much you can carry comfortably. You know, uh, jogging with a pistol on your Waste is not realistic for everybody, especially in the summer, if you have to have it concealed. And especially if, like you, you're not super thrilled about the idea of carrying and using that without training, which obviously in the position where they're going to devote a lot of time, energy, or money to a weapon. The two I would go to first are a high lumen flashlight, which I'm a huge advocate. If you watch any of the videos on my channel, invariably you'll run into one that's me talking about flashlights, which sounds silly. But a flashlight is the only weapon that does what it's intended to do every time you use it. All the other, all the other self-defense tools and weapons have a rate of failure. Tasers is like 
um, firearms, it's heavily dependent on your level of proficiency with them. Knives is actually lower than people think. And even pepper spray has a failure rate, but flashlights, if you shine a light in someone's eyes, they cannot see 100% of the time. And it also can make a pretty handy impact weapon. The pepper spray is probably uh, my next uh, recommendation. It's very high percentage and it's not, pepper spray doesn't make anyone stronger. I know that for a fact. So spraying the guy with pepper spray is not going to make him stronger and more dangerous. The downside of pepper spray is the cross-contamination. You know, if it gets on you, if it's a close range thing, like they're already in contact with you, grabbing you or pushing you down, pepper spray does cause a problem. The benefits of pepper spray and flashlights, as far as runners go, is you can carry them both in your hand. They make runners versions of pepper spray that have a little strap you can carry in your hand because having things on you, I don't know about you. When I run, I hate having anything on my waist or in my pockets or anything like that. I can't stand to have anything. Uh, a small flashlight you can tuck into the waistband of shorts instead of in a pocket so it doesn't bounce around and it's closer to your hips. But I don't like having anything. When I, when I run, I carry a flashlight in my hand. I just carry it in my hand. And uh, the added benefit of the flashlight is you can just use it to see. Like it has non-self-defense applications. If you drop something, if you need to look at a trail or if you need to like look down a, a path and that you're kind of sketched out about, maybe hearing noise in the bushes. Yeah, flashlight's just a super useful thing to have, but it also doubles as a, a weapon and a deterrent. That's awesome. I actually had never thought about the fact that a flashlight could help you that much. And it's also one of those that you wouldn't be afraid to use for the lack of using it incorrectly or even hurting someone, which is crazy as it sounds, you know, that's something that's, that's on my mind. No, that's an that's actually a brilliant observation and something I forgot to touch on when I was kind of touting its usefulness. It's the only one that you can use on someone that you shouldn't have used it on and not get in trouble. You know, like if you use, if a guy is just, was just about to ask you what time it was, or he was just about to hit you with the cheesy pickup line and you pepper spray him, <laughs> You, you shouldn't have done that. You know, you, you jump the gun, but if you shine your flashlight in his eyes and say, Hey, get away from me, you've acted like a weirdo, but you've not assaulted anyone or, or hurt anyone yet. Um, and it's hard to hurt yourself with them. So that's actually a really good observation. Yeah. that make him even useful to you since you're running in the dark. So, so that's perfect. Right. So for the scenarios, worst case scenarios, of course, we want to discuss those. If you are a woman that is, you know, medium size, like most runners mm -hmm. and you get attacked. What are some things that you can do after you have those five second laps of trying to figure out what's going on? What is something that we should do? So the question is invariably this turns to, and I apologize if you were going to ask this about making the decision, whether or not to fight back. Um, this is something that, that comes up and I, I think it's sort of bizarre and I, there's some people that think that they should not fight back. Now, I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you what I would do and what I would tell anyone in my family to do. Um, and that's, if you look at these incidents, every single one of them, the woman fought back. And I don't have any, any uh, information that leads me to believe any of them had any training. I would love to tell you, hey, you need, well, you need to come to class. We have classes, you know, X number of nights a week or in your area, go to an MMA gym or go to a self-defense training facility and go to class every night. And then you'll know what to do. But from what I can tell, <clears throat> from what I can tell, most of these women just kicked and screamed. 
they did what you would what you would think that an untrained woman would do when they were attacked by a bigger, stronger, faster, more violent person. They kicked and screamed. There's no information that they did any kind of spin kicks or they did any kind of arm locks or, or you know, neck cranks or they didn't choke anyone out. They kicked and screamed. And the good news is I got more good news. Uh, okay. You know, yeah, the guy attacking you is probably a coward. He's probably a loser and a coward. That's that's one thing we you sort of think of the guy jumping out of the bushes as this monster. Like, oh my god, you 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 visualize this just terrifying, powerful person. Most of them are losers and cowards. That's why they're doing this. If they were not losers and cowards, they wouldn't be attacking uh, people who are smaller than them or perceived as weaker than them. So, generally, what happens. In a lot of these cases, and I have a few of the more popular ones uh, that I've done a good bit of research into, the woman gets pushed down from behind. That's a pretty common occurrence, pushed down from behind. He usually doesn't get her from the front because these are cowards. They're going to approach you from behind. And he can get her from behind a lot of times because they have earbuds in. So they get pushed down from behind. So, and I guess I should have touched on this on prevention. Like every once in a while, like, Checking your six or turning your head around is not a bad idea. I understand you get in the zone and you got your music going and you got your, I, I run, I try to match my steps up, you know, with the beat of the song. And that really gets me going. And I got my head down and I'm sort of like chugging along, but every once in a while, they'll look back. But if you are attacked, the woman, the women that have been the most successful in most of the news reports kicked and screamed and fought, they fought back and the guy quickly gave up. This is even in the cases where like in Boulder, Colorado and in Brooklyn, which were two high profile incidents, the bad guy had a knife and threatened the woman with a knife. And they, the woman still fought back and she made it out. Unfortunately, it's hard to know exactly how things play out in these for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is the victim and suspect for a multitude of reasons don't give you an accurate account of what happened. The suspect is going to lie about what happened. The victim will often misremember exactly how it happened. And this is unfortunate. They oftentimes will lie about how these things happen as well, which is an entirely separate topic. But the victims of crimes tend to, sometimes they feel silly. Sometimes they feel embarrassed by what happened. Sometimes they, uh, this might be less common with women. It might be a man thing. They sort of embellish how well they did in the encounter. Um, but you don't get great information from, even when the women or the victim survive, you get very little information when the victim doesn't. But as far as I can tell, if you have no training, all the incident, all the incidents that I researched where you can, uh, where the victim survived and came out of it. Okay. They kicked and screamed and fought back. And I don't have any information that they had any specific training in doing that because most of these guys are cowardly. And once they meet resistance and the ones we have on video, it's very apparent. Once they meet any sort of resistance, they quickly make their exit. Yeah, I'm glad you 
uh, mentioned kicking and screaming. It's also pretty handy. So sometimes I run in the trails and I have this little tiny whistle that just clips onto your sports bra and I wore it because I'm scared of wildlife. And so when I would go into the deeper woods, yeah. I would start whistling in order to not be crossing paths with anyone I don't want to. And I'm talking about animals here, but it might also help to have that on you right. because it's very easy to carry. They're tiny. And when you draw attention to yourselves, that's obviously not what they want will probably deter them from continuing to do whatever they're trying to do. So the other thing that you also mentioned was calling that person that attacks you a coward and a loser, because I think that's exactly what happens when we think about being attacked. We picture being attacked by, I don't know, by the rock, somebody that looks like that and who's yeah, super just empowering. A, just a, yeah. ma- a massive, insurmountable obstacle of a person. Yeah. And in reality, they are cowards. They are losers. They probably have some kind of complex going on and are not the biggest person. So that's something else that we can think about before, if ever anything happens to us, because that'll probably make us more likely to size them up better when we try to fight back. Yeah. I think the important thing to realize is that violence is scary and violence is unpredictable. And I I kind of am talking in a lot of generalizations, but that's the only thing you can do. You, You know, you can't go down the rabbit hole of every possible combination and every possible outcome. So we have to go with what we generally know. That's the only thing. Otherwise, you'll go crazy. Otherwise, you'll go insane and you'll be the weirdo lurking in the bushes. You know what I mean? You'll be the you'll you'll go crazy if you try to get it down to the last possible minute detail and get it correct. And you never will. So you go with generalizations. They're cowards and they're losers. They quickly give up when met with resistance. The people that do this, that's an important thing to realize. And if, if they weren't going to give up when they were met with resistance, if we go back to that example of you actually have been tracked and cataloged and targeted by someone who's very skilled at this, you, I don't think your chances are going to get worse. Um, the common wisdom, and I don't think I'm going too far outside of industry accepted norms, is that you never allow someone to move you somewhere else. You know, You never go somewhere else with them. You make them whatever they wanted to do. They're going to have to do it right there. That's pretty commonly accepted by everybody. That's not a controversial stance on it. Um, kick and scream and fight and realize that every, every second that goes by, every second that passes where enough, not much happens, you know, you don't take a huge shot to the head. You don't fall down a, a hill. You don't get strangled. Your, your arm doesn't break. Every second that passes where nothing terrible happens in a violent encounter favors the victim. So the longer you can make it take, the noisier it is, the more attention it draws, the the more he's likely to give up and move on. And if you want to train for a determined, skillful attacker, you need to go to class. You need to learn to wrestle. You need to learn to box. You need to learn jujitsu. But if you don't want to do any of those things, you need to, you need to just be prepared to, you know, fight back and fight hard. And you need to visualize that in your mind, as we said, and, and have that response already chambered. Be ready to go. When, when, when the green light comes on, you need to go. Perfect. Thank you, Mike. And if our listeners want to get more information, maybe, as you mentioned, watch more videos or even get involved. I don't know if you do online classes, but can you tell us how and where to find you? Uh, I'm on the YouTube channel, Hard to Hurt. If, if you Put in hard to hurt with the number two because that makes it cool. You know, when you put numbers in the <laughs> your brand, it makes it cooler. 
If you put hard to hurt in the YouTube search bar, it'll take you right to me. If you put hard to hurt, I think by this point, I think the channel is large enough. If you put it into any search bar, it brings you to the YouTube channel. But the the thing I would urge most, obviously, I would love for your for your listeners to come to come watch. But this is the thing I would like to leave them with. When we do self-defense seminars for runners, I do more promotion of those seminars than any other type of seminar that I do. I put, I go to the running shoe stores and the running clubs and the little running meetup Facebook groups. And I put the flyers out for those things. I do more promotion of those seminars than any other seminar. And they get the lowest turnout. We get packed. We sell out our other seminars, but that seminar gets the lowest turnout. And I thought maybe they're just not interested. And then I thought, well, that's, that's not, I don't think that's true because, and you you're not an exception in that you are a little bit interested in this stuff and you've had personal experiences that kind of made you think about this. Um, I think any runner, I think if you're an avid runner and you run all the time and you run outside, I think you have thought about this. I think any runner that looks at a flyer for a self-defense seminar that's targeted to runners and I, I charge like 20 bucks for them, you know, um, the other seminars are like 40 and $50, but that seminar is $20 and I put more flyers out than any other. I think anyone that looks at that flyer is like, huh, that might be kind of cool. I run a lot that I should do that. And I do it. And we go for a run. We run while we do it <laughs> and we, <laughs> we make stops. I have little stops where we have scenarios set up like that. So I 100% think that most of the people that look at that flyer would say, yeah, I should do that. That'd be cool. What else am I doing on Saturday? Probably going for a run but they have super low turnout. And all I can think is that for whatever reason, there's a little disconnect. I think most people that hear about the subject think, yeah, I would like to do that. And then something keeps them from coming in the door, which is true for like a lot of hobbies and pastimes and stuff like that. I get that. We receive some of that in our other martial arts program, but that one in particular has super low turnout relative to the amount of promotion. And I can only think that someone just needs to, to, to reach out. If you're, if you are listening and you're thinking about training, you've kind of always wanted to go to a boxing class. You've kind of always wanted to go to a self-defense class, or you kind of wanted to go to MMA, but maybe you feel like you don't have the time or energy or the background, or you think you're too old, or you think you're too this, or you think you're too that just go, please just go to class, go try a class, go try a week's worth of class, preferably then decide that you don't want to do it anymore. And I think that most runners would lend themselves very well to this. I think they would enjoy boxing. I think they would enjoy kickboxing. I think they would even enjoy MMA training. Even if you never plan to fight, it's an excellent pursuit. I think everyone should at least find out how good they are at fighting. So that that way, if they ever have to, they're familiar with their own ability level. Um, That would be my number one call to action for your listeners is if they've ever at all considered it or thought that would be interesting. They need to follow up on that. Yeah. And especially because it would make for great cross training as well. Oh, absolutely. Boxers run. All bo- almost all yeah. boxers run. Almost all Muay Thai fighters run. Um, the bag work. Uh, now, there's, there's besides the partner drilling, if you're just working the bag mentally, it has a lot in common with running. You have to keep a rhythm. You have to keep a pace. And you have to go even when you don't feel like going. Um, and you have to go for longer than you feel like going. I, I really think that any athlete, most of the athletes I train that come from other sports or other pastimes enjoy it very much. Yeah. And, uh, I think it, and it's, uh, it's actually low, low impact. It sounds funny to call boxing low impact, but especially relative <laughs> to running, it's, 
relatively low impact on the joints. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mike, so much. We really appreciate you. Thank you for having me on. I enjoyed it. All right, guys, I hope you got something out of this episode, something that you can share with fellow runners. And I guess the key is always awareness, right? And hopefully we don't have an unlucky situation happening. And so stay tuned for next episode. Hopefully we'll have a recap of the Chicago Marathon coming on for you. And with that, have a great week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.